ultimately it's being in our truth without the intention to hurt someone else and without a fear of what the outcome may be for standing in our truth. It's being a stand for ourselves, being a stand for our desires and our requests and our needs. And then learning how to ask them with reverence and respect of the other person and with compassion and empathy, but also with firmness. That's really what I mean by being in our power. And when we're able to do that, we actually give the other person an opportunity to truly respond in a more authentic way as well. So we can get the real version of them. If both people are committed to that, the chances of a mature conversation and communication taking place is heightened. The voice you just heard is Stefanos Sifandos, one of the world's foremost experts in helping people to restructure and reframe their relationships with themselves, their purpose, and their loved ones. Throughout 2023, I wanted to get Steph's input on some challenges I was feeling in my own life. The signature concept that came from our conversations was standing in your power. This idea of being in your truth and challenging others around you to respond authentically and grow with you into their own full potential. At a level that few can match, Stephanos embodies interconnected experience and wisdom. He has worked with thousands of individuals, including some of the most influential leaders in our society, inspiring them to escape negative patterns to improve their relationships, their lives, and the lives of everyone they serve. I wanted to share some of his concepts with you here today, and I'm grateful to Steph for agreeing to record this conversation. I trust that you'll get supreme value here from my friend and coach, Stephanos Sifandos. Welcome to Changing Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. This podcast was originally created to spotlight the leaders, alumni, and friends of the Cutco Vector Marketing community who are leveraging their positive influence to empower people all over the world to change their lives. Every few weeks, we go outside of the Cutco Vector sphere to bring you a guest who is teaching others how to have a more successful and fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. The special guests we bring to you here in episodes like today's are successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. The lessons they share are compelling, real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. I am with Stefanos Sifandos today. Steph is a master coach with expertise in a wide range of important life subjects, ranging from evolutionary biology to relationship strategies to breath work and meditation and a lot more. I met Steph at a Front Row Dads event in December of 2022, and I knew right away that this was somebody who I wanted to be able to leverage for his insight in my life. Uh, We've done some coaching throughout 2023, and I really wanted to share some of the lessons that I have gained from Steph with this audience. I'm grateful that Steph graciously accepted my invitation 
to uh, have a deeply personal and profound conversation. And so uh, let's dive right in. Uh, Steph, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, my friend. It's, the feeling's very mutual. I feel very blessed to, to be on your show and for you to present me to your audience. And, you know, just may I say it was a, a pleasure working with you and, and journeying together as well. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. When we first started coaching, I mentioned to you, Steph, that I believe that the, you know, the impact of our past, but also I said, you know, I'm not someone who feels like my life is determined by my past. And right off the bat, I think you helped me to have a little bit of a different point of view on this. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Well, firstly, I, I love what you said, and I actually resonate with what you said as well. And if we focus too much on the past, you know, in a way that keeps us there, we, we won't get to be someone different in the world, right? And then that's the, the beautiful thing about, I guess, the work that I that I do, or people like me do, is that we, I, I very purposely blend, you know, what's happened in the past that has shaped who we are today, and what future ambitions, goals, desires practices, levels of embodiment do we really yearn for that has us focusing on who can we become and what do we need to do in the now and who we need to be in the now to become that? What do we need to let go of? Because whether we like it or not, from my experience and the study, the extensive research that I've done is that so much of who we are today is influenced largely unconsciously by who we've been, the experiences that we've had and how we've interpreted those experiences. And so it serves us to go a little deeper into, is there something that needs to shift or move or be released in order for us to feel more grounded in the present and actually release the past? Is there something that needs to shift or move or be released? You said. Yeah. When we talked about my past, we talked a little bit about my upbringing and my parents in particular and, and my parents' way of handling conflict. And a note that I made was my parents' way of handling conflict is me. Could you unpack just how, how that conclusion kind of would have come out? Yeah, yeah. So again, I'll give you another example, and that's a, that's a great example too. And I'll give you one that's sort of maybe on the uh, opposite end of that spectrum is, is I grew up in, in, in abuse and violence and volatility. And so how I usually deal with conflict is with really big energy. And I can be, especially in the past, very confrontational. And what I want to sort the thing out right now. And again, a product of that was what I witnessed. And I witnessed that in so many of the families that we were surrounded by as well, whether it was family, friends, whether it was my friends and watching their families and how they interacted. It was a very similar pattern. And so I thought that was the norm. And so growing up, we were very impressionable and we walk around this hypnagogic state and we're very self-referential, which is everything's my fault, everything's on me, I'm responsible for everything. Whatever we're exposed to, it generally becomes us and they become patterns that we play out as well in our own unique ways, but we'll play them out. And so if you grew up in an environment that was very non-confrontational, then you bring that into your adult relationships because that's your first point of reference. And often our first points of reference are really, really strong. They leave very strong imprints upon our psychology and our relational patterns as well. And so the opportunity that we have is when we're in relationship as adults, if something is playing out that's not working and it's causing us you know, difficulty and disconnection, it's causing tension within us, it's causing us to be in undesirable places within ourselves and within the relationship, the opportunity we have is to look at the patterns that are playing out and maybe be different as opposed to what I think what Einstein says is do the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. It's a definition of insanity. 
So let's do something different and actually experience a different result or a different outcome. Hmm. Look at the patterns that are playing out and be different, right? I remember you said to me one one time, right? The remedy to that is to not do that. Um, <laughs> it was such a simple idea that came out. As, as it pertains to me directly, we talked about how my my dad was a little bit more distant, I guess you could say. My mom was highly confrontational, you know, in a, in a, a verbal way, like she yelled basically hmm. pretty much all the time. And I sort of began to s- shut that further and further and further down the older I got. And maybe by the time I was 12 or 13 or 14 years old, I just sort of tuned it out. What are some lessons or observations in that? If somebody resonates with those having had parents that were similar to that, or having had one parent or the other that interacted with them in that way, just what are some thoughts or ideas that come to your mind that might be helpful for people to hear? Yeah, it's a great question. So noticing if in relationship you are one of your parents or a blend of both of your parents and what kind of people or archetypes or personality structures, if you like, are you attracting into your relationships? And so maybe you may be playing out your mother or your father. Say you're playing out your mother, you're very confrontational, very verbally aggressive, and you're attracting that passive father. What's a healthier way to be with that? Asking that question, because it's truly serving me. Is this pattern truly serving me where it's this pattern of power play or dominance? And usually when we're in a, in a pattern of dominance or needing to dominate or needing to control, there's a fear underneath that. And what's underneath that fear is not feeling safe and also not knowing how to be in relationship. And so if we're just going to play out patterns of the past and we're not active participants in the choices that we're making, the people that we're attracting, and the patterns that are playing out, the habits, the behavioral habits, the relational habits that are playing out in relationship, then we are under the spell and under the control of what we've witnessed. And it's our nervous system that is just going ahead and doing what it wants. And so the opportunity we have is to be very proactive and deliberate in making the choices that we want to make. Because would it be better to serve you to be in control and have this fear that's driving the way that you control, control over others, control over your environment, control over self? Or would it be more beneficial to you to be more open and to be more vulnerable and to be more honest and to be calmer in your demeanor and to be more regulated and to be more curious and to work with each other to help each other as opposed to I need to have power of, of, over this person in order to feel complete in my own life. Mm, that's so profound. You spoke about a little earlier the that our upbringing, who we're around is our frame of reference. And a way of explaining that that I've used with people is sort of like learning to speak a language right? You learn to speak a language. That's what you understand. That's what you know. Well, if you are around certain ways of operating, that is the language, so to speak, that you learn about how you can operate or how you should operate or whatever it might be. That's the language you learn. It's what you're exposed to. And in order to get out of that, we have to first recognize what are the patterns, as you said, that might not be serving us. And then we have to learn this new language, this new way of being, this new way of operating, which for some people can be very uncomfortable in making that shift. What do you feel has most helped people that you've worked with to escape from any of these patterns of the past and and truly put 
the past behind them. Yeah, there would be two core components to that. And the first is learning how to regulate our own nervous system out of dysregulation. And so if we're, in, if we're consistently placing ourselves or we happen to find ourselves in environments that are dysregulating us, where we feel anxious or we feel depressed or we feel nervous or we feel we can't be ourselves or we can't speak our truth or we're very agitated and frustrated, whatever the, the unpleasant, undesirable state feeling emotional sensation is, is can we learn to regulate through the body, through breath, through other somatic practices, regulate our nervous systems. So that's where true healing and wholeness takes place. When we have an ability, we learn to re-regulate ourselves. And so if we're going to the edge of our anxiousness, for as example, can we breathe really slow and be in greater mastery of our body, greater mastery of our physiology, which informs our thoughts, which informs the way we think and feel, right? And vice versa, it's a reciprocal loop. But starting with the physiology is a really great, it's a great place to start. So you may have to work with someone, a coach, a somatic therapist, a, a counselor, a body worker, an energy healer, someone that can really help navigate you toward being back in your body and helping you learn it's safe to be in your body. Some people experience, you know, very severe trauma, very acute chronic trauma, physical abuse. It's either violence or sexual abuse and so forth. And, and some people experience what's known as little t trauma, but compounded over long periods of time and the the perception of self isn't really a healthy one and it usually comes out in the body. Maybe they're overweight, maybe they have an eating disorder, maybe they have a dislike or self-hatred of the body or just an aversion to their body, right? And so working with the body, coming back into the body in healthy ways is really important. The second, I think, core principle, if you like, is really surrounding yourself with examples of people that A, are going to challenge you, B, but in healthy ways, not in, not in judgmental ways. B, they're going to be non-judgmental and compassionate and empathetic with you. And C, they're going to support you. They're going to really see you. Your basic human needs are to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, to be accepted, to be appreciated, to be respected. So surrounding ourselves with people that can, can be an example of that. And that can help us then be more of ourselves. And we have that practice of being more of ourselves and met in healthy ways. Guess what? We can bring that to the relationships that we actually want to improve upon. So, you know, just to simplify it, but by the way, I've simplified something in letting it be two core principles, but they're not necessarily easy to do. Right. Require effort and work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the first one, learning to feel what's in our body, to recognize what we're feeling, and then to be able to regulate that and or turn that around, that's tough for sure. I think a lot of people, the feelings that they get inside become almost like a stimulus response type of thing where it's like, you're like Pavlov's dog. If you feel a certain way, you explode. You just can't handle it, right? So that does seem like it's a it's a tough thing to master, but something worthwhile and starts with just being able to recognize, right? When this happens, this is how I feel right? When I get into this kind of a conflict, here's what happens inside my body and, 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 you know, knowing that's happening and then learning how to, how to regulate that. Yeah. Um, then you said who you surround yourself with would be an, a second mm-hmm. key, key part mm-hmm. of this. And of course, uh, that's a very important concept that has come up a lot of times in a lot of conversations that I've had here on this podcast. So I appreciate hearing that as well. So as we talked, Steph, we were talking about some different challenges that uh, I was experiencing here throughout this past year. And probably the most important concept that we discussed could be labeled as standing in your power. 
Can you explain what this means? Yeah. It can mean a number of different things for different people depending on their circumstances, but ultimately it's being in our truth without the intention to hurt someone else and without a fear of what the outcome may be for standing in our truth. That's really what I mean when I'm talking about being in our power. It's being a stand for ourselves, being a stand for our desires and our requests and our needs, and then learning how to ask them with reverence and respect of the other person and with compassion and empathy, but also with firmness. Firmness meaning not a demanding nature, but firmness in the sense that you are clear on what you want and you're going to ask it with clarity. That's really what I mean by being in our power. And when we're able to do that, we actually give the other person an opportunity to truly respond in a more authentic way as well. So we can get the real version of them, not just a pretend appeased version or a people-pleasing version or an aggressive version even. And we can't control how the other person responds or reacts. But what we can do is we can ensure that we are in our truth. And if both people are committed to that, the chances of a mature conversation and communication taking place is heightened. Hmm. So I, I really like how you distinguish that standing in your power. It involves asking things of others, but asking them of others with, at the same time, respect, right, for them and who they are and what they want, but also firmness, right, that what are, what, what are your expectations or standards? What are your sort of non-negotiables mm. in life, right? Mm. So it's not, like, I really would like to distinguish standing in your power from selfishly demanding of others the things that you want in your life, right? It's not right. that. Nope. There's a distinction here for sure. And maybe you could dive a little deeper into, you know, how does that manifest in a relationship between two people? Yeah. And if we're coming from that place that you just mentioned around selfishly demanding what we want, the chances are, again, can't control the outcomes, but the chances are somewhat of a masculine cause and effect here is that you're probably going to shut down the other person with your demeanor if you're in a demanding posture. They're going to get defensive. They're going to shut down. They're going to stonewall. They're going to be scared potentially. They're going to contract in their bodies. They're going to contract in their psychology depending on their dispositions and, and how they, they show up in relating and in intimacy and in relating. They may just people please, but they're not really authentically there. So they're building resentment. There's a slew of really negative effects that come from being demanding and being entitled or acting entitled and acting in a self-righteous way. Standing in your power is not about that at all. It's, it's really about everything we discussed earlier. It's really, it's a commitment to truth and honesty, your truth and honesty for yourself, for the other person and for the relationship itself as a separate entity. I remember when I was younger, I would hear a lot and read that Jesus would say, the truth shall set you free. So irrespective of whether you are a Christian or you believe in the parables and teachings of Jesus or, or, or his existence or not is, is not too relevant, but just, just focus on the phrase for a moment, the truth shall set you free. Yes, and, but the truth can come with experiential outcomes that may be harsh. You may share your truth with someone and they say, you know what, I don't like your truth. I'm out. I'm out of this relationship. And that can hurt. But there's a freedom in that still. There's still, to me, in every which way that I look at it, from any, from all the different vantage points I've taken with this, and I've sat with this for so many years, just that particular statement, the truth shall set you free, 
I can't see a scenario where there isn't a freedom in there, some level of freedom if we choose to embrace it. And so there's something to be said for truth. Now, again, not to get too philosophical or existential here, there are circumstances where sharing truth may not be of the highest benefit for you and your family. Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, goes through uh, various scenarios around truth and truth sharing, where being in truth is not an absolute rule, so to speak, right? There is a level of subjectivity to it. But in in the instance of of relating and, and being ourselves, often when, I'll say it this way, often when we struggle to be in our truth, being in our truth is the very thing we need for our own self-healing. And it's also really important, again, for the relationship. I can't emphasize this point enough because you give the other person an opportunity to be in their truth, to know what you're really experiencing, as opposed to you just saying something that you think they're going to be happy with, but isn't really your truth. Mm. That's just so powerful. We talked about how in my life, having grown up with a mom that was confrontational and yelled, as I've said before, I hate to keep saying that same exact thing, but that's pretty much what stands out to me in my mind as I look back. That for me, part of my truth is that I don't want to be in a situation where that is how conflict is handled, right? I don't want to be in relationships where that is how conflict is handled. I don't want to work with people where that is how conflict is handled, right? I want to be in situations where someone can have a conversation, can disagree agreeably, can work for solutions, right? Is open-minded, is willing to change at times when that's what's necessary. And I feel like I try to bring that energy from my own perspective as well. And so just being clear that being in a situation where there's constant like tension or aggression or things like that, Like that's something that I cannot be around. We described how it's important for me to be very clear, right? What my standards are, what my expectations are in this way so that I don't keep myself in a situation that I'm uncomfortable in. Does that make sense? I'm trying to kind of articulate some of the stuff that you and I have talked about. And yeah, for uh, sure. Is that? Yep. And you also described, Steph, you said that it's important to be able to do this without fear of outcome. Without, without, you can have a fear of the outcome, but don't let the fear dictate your actions and we right. hold you being in your truth. Right. right. Standing in your power in any relationship that you have in your life can sometimes result in the end of that relationship because the other person doesn't jive with what it is that you're saying or that you want. And I, and I do think that it's good for people to arrive at a place where your fear of losing a relationship diminishes and becomes less than your fear of living in a relationship where you're not in your truth. Mm, yes, very much so. And keeping in mind, we're also speaking to ideals here. These are, these are things that we work to and work towards, or these are embodiment practices that we work, work towards. And let me revert us back and remind us being safe in the body, because the chances of us being in our truth is really predicated on how safe we feel in our bodies, how emotionally safe, how confident we are in our own selves, how regulated we can be in our nervous systems. Because the more of that that we can access, the more likely we are to be in our truth because we have a greater sense of self. Our self-worth and self-esteem is heightened. Our reference point for who we are in the world is more evolved. It's more mature. 
it's less codependent and more interdependent. And this is very important when it comes to social dynamics and relational dynamics and showing up in really more authentic and genuine ways. How does someone really develop that ability? Like you were talking about the ability to be safe, feel safe in our bodies and to emotionally regulate more effectively. Like how does that come about, Steph? Yeah, we've got to we've got to close the trauma loops that we've experienced in our world where we don't feel whole. We are whole. We're always whole, but we don't feel it. So we feel fractured and broken and we live from that place. So we live in a hypervigilant, hyperprotective place. And so closing the loops on that trauma through therapy, through coaching, through somatic work, through different gentle somatic practices, through being supported by other human beings that can see us and can hold us and can, again, healthily challenge us. These are all steps towards a right direction, rewriting our definition of intimacy and relationships and ensuring that we have examples in our life that show us that intimacy can be safe and relationships can be safe. These are all important factors in learning how to regulate our nervous systems, regulate our bodies, feel safe in our bodies, be more confident in our own selves and the way that we show up in relationship, have relationships where we can practice being really truthful, where there's there's less risk. In other words, less judgment, less possibility of rejection, abandonment, humiliation. And we have to rewrite those stories. Many of us have experienced that. Many of us have experienced rejection and abandonment and humiliation, and it stays in us. And this is where we notice anything that's that's resembling that past experience that causes a lot of pain and contraction, we immediately contract. This is the hypervigilance piece. And so healing those past experiences, and there's there's various techniques to do so and various modalities that we can that we can lean into to support us with that you know psycho-emotional psychosomatic tools but it's a process like it genuinely is a process right as is any aspect of learning for sure sure would you say that some people may be afraid to stand in their power because they're afraid that it will create more conflict not less in mm. a relationship with someone else and would you say that a counter to that is that by not being in our truth, we are enabling others around us to engage in habits or behaviors that we see that aren't serving them. Yes, is, is a short answer. Yeah. And again, this is kind of, I think this is where you said to me, the remedy to that is to not do that, right? I remember we, we were talking about this whole uh, aspect, things that were applying in, in my own life and that uh, there are areas where I was enabling behaviors or habits that were not serving others Mm. Um, and that I needed to be more direct in confronting those behaviors or habits in order to help the people around me to be able to get past those things. Does that sound uh, like an accurate assessment of some of the things we talked about? Yeah, absolutely. And and what often happens is, so firstly, there are stages to transformation and change, not only Interdependently, but also interdependently. So within ourselves and also within our circles of, uh, within our social circles and relationships. And so often the first aspect or levels of change and transformation are met and are greeted with apprehension and a repelling sense of action, right? People don't like change. Their identity is tied, our identity is tied up in the habits and the relationships and the way things are. And when things change, if a person begins to change dramatically and they're no longer a people pleaser or they're no longer silent and they start speaking their truth, it can be very jarring and confronting for some people. And so what often they'll do is they'll meet that with pushback. They'll meet that with aggressiveness or defensiveness or they'll pull back in the relationship. They just get scared. 
And then often what happens, that relationship will either, not often, one of two things will generally happen. It will either, the relationship will diminish and you'll outgrow that relationship or you'll grow together and you'll come back together in, in a new and impactful way. But that, that also takes time. And, and again, it's not for us to be uh, the, the judge, jury, and executioner of that. It's for us to just simply focus on what does change and transformation look like and feel like for me. And if that's the highest, most authentic expression of me, then not only do I deserve that, my future self deserves that, but every person in my life that is in my life currently and that I'm yet to meet deserves that as well. Mm, I like that. I like that. I'll say, I'll say one more thing to that, Dan. If freedom is synonymous with growth and love, then we have a duty and an obligation. And may I say, if the truth then shall set us free, we have a duty and an obligation to be in truth, to be in freedom, to be in growth, to be in love. I think that one of the prime directives of being human, the the intrinsic value it carries, but also a goal, if you like, is to be in in freedom, is to embody freedom. And and that's an arbitrary term, but again, I, I see freedom as synonymous with growth and love. And so for me, I keep coming back to that as a reference point whenever I'm struggling to be in my truth. Hmm. Great insight. I want to ask you about the difference here between us taking responsibility for our own actions, our own ways of being, versus us trying to impact and change another person. Mm -hmm. Uh, because one of the things I grapple with, with this idea of standing in your power is that one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to inspire change in someone else. But the way to get there is to exhibit our own changes, our own new ways of operating, new ways of being, right? And as far as, you know, inspiring someone else to change, it's not so much saying you need to do this or you need to do that so much as, here's what I am looking for, or here's how something makes me feel and helping someone kind of see that, oh, you know what, if I operate this way, it's not working as well versus if I can change and operate in a new way, I can have more success in my relationships or whatever. So I'm just trying to figure out here, how do we implement this whole concept of being in your truth or standing in your power in a way that inspires and motivates the people who are around us to grow, adapt, learn, evolve on their own? I think that needs to be an after effect and a natural byproduct of us inspiring ourselves to be in deeper transformation. I think that's what's probably most important. Right. And the reason why I believe that's most important is because if we are solely focused on inspiring others, it can reinforce a codependent pattern, which essentially is us not being in our truth. And so value comes from really doing it for ourselves. And it may appear to be selfish, but it's, it's not hyper selfish in a way that is designed to hurt others. Because most people that can't or struggle to be in their truth, they have a they have a pattern of codependency where they, they seek validation and worthiness outside of themselves. They act in a particular way and hope for a particular response from someone else. They're codependent by nature. They're people pleasers. 
they self-sacrifice excessively. They maximize the needs of others and minimize the needs of themselves. They don't want to speak the truth because they don't want to hurt anyone, and generally speaking. And so it becomes important that we start to do things for ourselves in healthy ways. Now, often what happens is the pendulum will swing from one end all the way to the other. That's usually a natural occurrence, and eventually some level of homeostasis takes place. If we can avoid the extreme swings, great. I think society where we are as a, as a greater collective, both Western and Eastern culture, is that largely Western culture is that we we have to learn through extremes, and that's where we hit rock bottom, and that's where that rapid shock that comes from hitting rock bottom says, "Oh, we need to make some changes," and then we can make some more sustainable changes as opposed to these massive swings. Again, it's all part of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe a lot of people who are listening have someone in their life that exhibits a lack of emotional control or a lot of anger, disagreement, and understanding where that comes from enables us to interact with others with more compassion and just better understanding. Yeah. Um, And I'm just wondering if you could share, why do some people use anger or disagreement to protect themselves? Yeah, it's a coping strategy and it's it's a way to seek control. So often ag- aggression, volatility, violence, anger is a very big energy and for the most part it helps us feel safer because we feel unsafe and we feel hurt. And as a result of that, being angry places us in greater control of our situation, our environment, which essentially at some level helps us feel safer. And so there are probably some primary reasons as to why aggression becomes a go-to strategy. Also because maybe it's the norm for us, it's what we grew up with, it's what we know, it's what we witnessed in our parents, in our family, in our upbringing, in our schooling system, in our communities, etc. And it was a way that we saw people really gain power over others. So there are various stories and ways of seeing the world that are attached to that, but ultimately it's because of control. We're going to seek strategies that place us in greater control, and that could be running away. If running away places us in, gives us a greater sense of control, then that's what we'll do. And if that's the pattern that has become most embedded as primary for us, then that's what we'll utilize. Yeah, that was the pattern for me that, that you and I have talked about is that when I was younger with my mom, I would, I would just go in my room and shut the door. I wouldn't even listen. And I would separate myself from the situation because that's really all I could do when I was a kid, right? And that that pattern has lasted in my life where when there's conflict, when there's discomfort, I just don't want to be in it. I want to separate yeah. from it. Yeah. And so, right, that's that's the pattern that has sort of reinforced from my upbringing to now. Yeah. And how do we create safety in a relationship where two people can communicate more openly and more effectively? Ask that question again, please. You said something about people will respond with big energy because they're, yes. they don't feel safe. And yes. you know, coming on strong enables them to take control and gain that feeling of safety again. Yes. How can we create safety without somebody feeling like they have to bring big energy or being loud or overly strong in a conversation, in a disagreement? How can we create that safety without somebody feeling like that that's a necessary step? Yeah, with greater challenge, because usually, you know, if I'm understanding the question correctly, is let's just say you have this really aggressive pattern 
and, and we're in conversation and, you know, I can sense that you're about to put on your aggressive pattern. We're, we're disagreeing. You're feeling threatened. I can see your energy raising. Yeah, sure, there's a number of things that I can do to support you in that. I can call the pattern that I'm seeing forward. I can call it out, so to speak. I can say, hey, I'm noticing that you're becoming really aggressive. There's no need for that. That's not my intention. Can we just talk about this? That may aggravate you even more. It may calm you down. I can just breathe slowly and I can be really calm and slow myself. That may influence your nervous system to not have to feel so threatened so you can calm down. I can stop talking about the thing. That may be a little inauthentic if it's not really what I want to do, but it also could be the right path. It could be, okay, this is getting too heated. You don't seem to be regulated. Let's just pause the conversation, remove myself from the situation. There's a number of things that you can do. I think a better question to probably ask and to reinforce because the greater locus of control comes from within us is if you're the aggressor, what can you do to limit that behavior and that pattern if it's something that you want to change? We just go back to what we said earlier around doing your inner work, being more self-aware, broadening and deepening your tool set in dealing with a dysregulated self. You know, understanding that often, you know, I have a little saying in my mind when I'm in a situation where I'm becoming highly aroused. And when I say aroused, I'm talking about sexual arousal. I'm talking about like the arousal state of adrenaline, noradrenaline and and cortisol and so forth, right? Where I'm really, and then I go to my go-to strategies of getting aggressive and getting angry and, and whatever, moving fast and so forth is I would say that was then and this is now. I don't want past experiences to amplify the present moment because the present moment is what it is, but it's often amplified by unresolved stuff from the past or the hypervigilant part of me that's coming forward saying, hey, this is similar to this, this, and that. We better protect ourselves. We better be extra big just to make sure that we're safe. And so reminding myself that that's not necessarily the case is a strong pattern interrupt as well. Great. So this whole concept, Steph, of being in your truth, standing in your power, I think people can recognize that it's super important and yet it's really, really uncomfortable, I think, for most people to be able to find the way to take that step. What can you say that might help others develop more resolve to make this a part of how they operate? In addition to what we've shared as well around the value and the benefits of being in our truth and that the truth shall set us free and that's synonymous with growth and love and that state of being which I think so many people crave and and really deeply desire and also, you know, the, the, the truth around or the result of being more in our truth and the lightness that we feel in our body because we actually can just express, we don't have to hold it in. I think in addition to that, knowing that you will live a life that is less based in fantasy and, oh, what could be and what could be and what isn't and, oh, I've missed that and, oh, I wish this and this life of regret. You live less of a life of regret and more a life of openness and transparency and and excitement and present moment awareness. You'll, You'll be more in the present. I think there's a lot of value in that. I think there's, again, freedom in that and there's a lightness in that that we all at least so many of us desire. No one really, unless you're pathological, no one desires to be heavy, to be depressed, to be anxious, to be angry all the time, to be walking on eggshells, to be hypervigilant. People don't wake up saying, yes, I want to be this. Not consciously at least. Unconsciously, sure, because it's a habit and and habits are familiar and familiarity is safe. But, you know, undoing and unraveling all that and establishing a new sense of self and a new way of seeing the world becomes very valuable from that perspective. 
Yeah, I like what you just said about you know, nobody really wants to be these certain ways. And I think a great exercise somebody could consider is who do I want to be? What do I want to be? And really try to put that into clear words, like clearly define who it is that you want to be, how you want to operate, what you want in your life, and then have the ability to look within and see where am I living in that truth and where am I not living in that truth? And then think about how we can begin to to operate and communicate in ways that show more of that to the people around us so that we can manifest more of it in our lives. I feel like it's just some great insight, Steph. Oh, thank you, yeah. In all your work that you do with people, what do you find are one or two of the most repeated patterns that people want to change or get past in their lives? Oof. I mean, the first thing that really comes to mind and heart is healing from the past, whether it's a past breakup, whether it's childhood stuff, like really healing and making whole old trauma and old pain that has, has formed into unhealthy habits and people just really want to change that. Like if I was to sort of generally broad brushstroke um, answer your question, that's how I would answer it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a powerful thing for anyone to think about. And it circles back to what I said earlier, where what I said when I opened up my coaching experience with you, where I was like, hey, listen, man, I'm not one of these guys that like is like super affected by everything in my past. And you're like, well, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and you kind of helped me see the difference in that. And uh, it does make a lot of sense that, uh, that the way that we grew up is our frame of reference. It's our language, so to speak. It establishes so many patterns in our lives. And there's so many things there that we can learn from, that we can see manifesting right now in our life, having someone like you to be have outside perspective looking in and be able to illuminate that was super helpful for me. And I know it can be super helpful for a lot of other people as well. And uh, that can set us on the road to changing some of these patterns and being able to live more of the life that we all want to live. Yeah. Agreed, my friend. Very much agreed. Yeah. Steph, if people want to follow your work or learn more about you or work with you, how can they find you? Yeah. Thank you, Dan, for offering that. Coachwithsteph.com to apply for coaching, of course. My website, stephanosafandos.com. My um, Instagram, I'm pretty active there, but all social channels at stephanosafandos. And if you want to join a community of just like-hearted, like-minded visionaries and creators and entrepreneurs and people just doing amazing things in the world, you can visit asraya.io, A-S-R-A-Y-A dot I-O. A-S-R-A-Y-A dot I-O. Awesome. Or follow Steph uh, on Instagram or visit his website. Great stuff, Steph. Hey, listen, I appreciate uh, a lot of the insights you've given me throughout this year. I appreciate having connected with you and I'm grateful that you took some time to answer some of these questions and talk through some of this stuff with me here today. Yeah. Likewise, Dan, thank you so much for having me on, man. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it was good to reconnect after a couple of months. All right. That was Stephanos Sifandos, everyone. Sorry about the sound there toward the end. It's a little bit of commotion near Steph's office there as we got down toward the very end. I apologize for that. So much profound insight that comes out anytime I hear Steph or talk to Steph, starting with the concept of 
digging into your own past and understanding the frame of reference in which you grew up and the language that you speak because of that. I think that's one of the most important things that anyone can do is to find someone that can help you dig into that and talk about that, whether that's a professional coach that you hire or someone else that has some ability to interact and discuss this with you, even someone you trust that you can share and talk about these sorts of things with. I feel like there's a lot I gained that I didn't know I was going to gain in talking with Steph about some of these things. Then relating that to any present challenges that you have and seeing where are the connections. What are the patterns that you've established in your life that are not serving you? And of course, remember the, the phrase, the remedy to that is to not do that, right? Stop whatever patterns exist in your life that are not serving you and begin to communicate and interact in a way that is true to who you really want to be. Then I think that communicating that to those around you is critical. Steph talked about doing that with respect for others and for them and their needs, but also with a firmness around the standards, expectations, non-negotiables that you feel like you have in your life. Now, of course, any relationship is a two-way street. And I think also being willing to have that process circle back around from the other person is key as well. And that all in all, this is a process that can be uncomfortable at times, but that can take you to a place where you have safety in any relationship around how you communicate, how you handle conflict, how you deal with challenges. And in the end, I think it's important to care more about what's right than always about being right and having that willingness to see when there's something that you can be doing better, something that you can improve or change. I think that's also an important part of evolving in this whole process and learning how to interact in ways that are more authentic, more in your truth, to truly learn how to stand in your power, I think is something that is a very valuable concept that I hope each of you got some insights on here today. Thank you very much for listening to Steph Sifandos and for listening to me here today. I hope you got some great value out of this conversation. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.